Thank you, band. That was good. Man, you can see. All right, Crystal, I'm going to need you to move. Over. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Musical chairs. All right. We are here. The last week of WWJD. The last week. Hey, thanks. Now I can really move. <laughs> just don't pull a Jason and just move everything with me. And yeah, was anybody there on? Was that Saturday or Sunday at 11:15? He started moving the whole entire like rug with him because he got so excited. <laughs> it was pretty great. Um, I don't wanna. My knees don't wanna dance for you. <laughs> No. Anyway, hey, glad you guys are here. Glad that you guys have been here through this year. I did just, it struck me as I was standing in the back there and kind of looking over everybody and, and worshiping with you. It's been a kind of crazy year, right? So I honestly want to say thank you. Thank you for staying with IFM. A year like this, a transition year, can be really hard. And it is the kind of thing where a lot of people will step away. A lot of people have stepped away, and that is okay. Change is okay. Change is good. But I truly want to thank you from band members, from tech team, from every person who has been here, whether you're back for the first time in a long time, or I'm not calling you out. I'm seriously, I'm thankful you're here. I'm glad you're here. And you guys have been here earlier. You guys have been here throughout. But whether you guys have been in and out, whether you've been here each week, certain seasons, truly, Thank you. Because this year, I was real worried this year. And not worried about you guys, but worried about what was going to happen. I really had no idea. I had no idea what this year was going to look like, how hard this year was going to be, or easy this year was going to be. It, it was pretty hard. Um, and we, you know, we took... If I'm honest, we took some hits in ISM this year. I know you guys felt it. I felt it. From whether it's feeling weird that numbers have dropped or people aren't coming, or whether it's been just the realization of somebody not being here or whatever. But you guys have stayed consistent. You guys have stayed honorable to ISM. We've connected, we chat, we talk on the weekends. So honestly, truly, thank you for making ISM what it was this year. I mean that. Transitioning awkwardly into <laughs> the message. We're in our last week of WWJD, which of course has been the, the series where we have talked about what are the things that we wish Jesus would show us how to do. 
to tell us how to do. We'll be walking alongside with us. We've talked about all kinds of things. We've talked about kindness, talked about politics, talked about interaction with the LGBTQ community last week. But this week, this last week, as we head into the summer, we're seniors heading into a entirely new part of life, a new chapter for you guys. I wanted to go into the question that I feel like we ask Jesus often. And the question is, basically, Jesus, how do I make the right choice? And the reality is, this question doesn't go away. (laughs) I am 33 years old and I still ask this question a lot. And there are easy answers to this, and there are not so easy answers to this. But there is a guide that the Lord has given us, I feel. And the reality is this. There's there's kind of two scenarios where we ask this question. I feel like that, that question of, like, what, what's the right choice? God comes out in two different ways. The first is kind of the everyday choices. And this can look different for different people, but it's it's kind of like those questions anywhere from I know I've heard of people that are like Jesus, what should I wear? Which what is the right choice to wear today? What should I eat today? Which maybe isn't the right question to ask, but could be open to what the Spirit may need to tell you. All the way to during the day, you know, what choice should I make? How should I? The, the quick choices. I'm put in a situation and somebody says something to me. What's my choice? What's my reaction? And then the other one is where I feel like we ask this question is the big The things that we come up to in our life that feels like a fork in the road. And it stops and it goes left and it goes right. We have to figure out which way do we go. Which way should I go in the big choice that feels like it's all going to stop. For seniors, juniors probably feel it. I mean, I think all high schoolers feel it in some way. But that question most noticeably, I think, looms with, what am I doing when I graduate? Am I going to college? What college am I going to do? What's my major? Who's going to be my roommates? Or am I living at home? Am I going into the workforce? Am I going into a trade school? Am I going into the military? The options, of course, are there. And seniors, you guys have been facing that question, right? You felt it this whole year. Juniors, I'm guessing you feel like it feels like it's breathing down your neck. And then I feel like even sophomores, freshmen, you're starting, people are basically asking that question of you already. What are you going to do when you graduate? How are you going to get there? What classes are you going to take? What AP classes are you going to take? Or are you going to go to 
or, or work from or work work to school or, or something. What's it going to be? How? What are those decisions that you're going to make? So I want to start in the the everyday choices area, and I just want to give three three areas, three words of wisdom from God from Scripture in this area. And the first, when it comes to making those everyday choices, the choices of how do I treat this person? How do I react when they treat me that way? How do I, what am I going to do? What choice am I going to make when this happens in class? How am I going to choose in class? The first, you probably all heard it in some variation, but it is think first. Think first. Proverbs, which is a fantastic book that is also wildly convicting because it is extremely clear on what you should and shouldn't do in many, many areas. And many of those areas are areas that we all struggle in. And so when they say something and you're like, I'm not doing that well, it's great. If you ever want to feel motivated, convicted, and pushed, read Proverbs. But Proverbs 18 verse 13 says, To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. The idea of taking a second, hearing what someone says, taking a second to react, to realize, to react, to take in your environment, your emotions, taking a second to think before you react. There's a number of Proverbs, especially, that talk about this idea. Where you just come face to face with this, and, and it's an obvious thing, I feel like. I feel like it's something that a lot of people say over and over again. And then we get to the end of each day, and we go, oh, I could have thought way better about how I did that. I totally should have thought first before I did that, or said that to that person. But the, the reality is, we're in a world, and in a church in a lot of ways, that less and less values the think first. What do you, what, what's your reaction? What's your emotions? How do you feel? Tell me. It, it comes out in wordings of like, you know, be yourself. Be you. The, the reality is, Scripture is pretty clear, actually, on the definition of who you are, and you, being all of us, are a little messed up. I'm reminded of a certain meme with a certain screaming Grinch character. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but the Grinch is doing yoga. And they say, release all of your, and then he proceeds. I'm not going to do it because I'm going to blow out speakers. But lets out the most blood-curdling, high-pitched scream. And the, the uh, individual turns around, says, are you all right? And he says, I'm a little messed up. <laughs> the reality is we're all a little messed up. And the reality is a lot of our, First instincts, I'm 
not for that. And so we need to take a second, just a second sometimes, take a breath before we act, before we move forward. The second thing that greatly affects our everyday choices is who else is around us. The reality is, we don't actually make choices in a vacuum by ourselves. We make a choice that is affected by and will affect other people. Almost in every single possible scenario. And so the reality is this, number two, surround yourself with wisdom. When you are seeking to choose well, to, to make right choices, to seek good choices, surround yourself with wise people who are also making wise choices. Proverbs, once again, 13 verse 20. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Be aware of who you are affected, whose choices you're being affected by. Who you are letting affect your choices. Because the reality is, there is an effect. The people around you will make an effect. And just like you're a little messed up, they're also a little messed up. But you can choose and see and seek the wise, or the fool. And realize that the wise and the fool is in you, and both are options for you as well. And that one brings more wisdom. The entire theme of Proverbs is pursue wisdom. Wisdom is this, this idea of the good choice, the better choice in life, the better life. And the third for the everyday choices, and this is something that I fairly recently realized, is learning how to fail and learning to fail forward. Because the reality is this, when we make choices, and we make choices every single day, we will make wrong choices. We will make the wrong choice. All of you, myself, all our leaders, everyone here makes a wrong choice daily. And so... What happens for a lot of people, especially for high schoolers, I fear, I remember this for myself, is you look at the choices before you and the fear of doing it wrong holds you back from ever doing it again. The fear of failure 
becomes the greatest motivator in your life. And what that means is it robs you of God's good life for you. Because the reality is this, that we all have to accept. We will fail. Every single one of us. Or maybe I should say it this way. I will fail. And you can say it with me out loud or in person or inside. I will fail. And so what are you going to do in failure? How are you going to react? Is it going to become an attack on you? And suddenly the failure makes you a failure? And suddenly it goes from a choice you made to an identity question? It happens so fast. It happens so fast. And it is arguably the devil's greatest lie. He has perfected that train of thought. Those lies that just fall like dominoes. I screwed up once. I am and always will be a failure. Somehow you get there so fast. I did. If we understand that we're going to fail, that we receive the grace of God every single moment, as it says in Scripture, a, a righteous man falls seven times but gets up again. Seven times. Not once. And it's done. It is the question of will you get back up? And the idea of failing forward. Of when that failure hits you, when you made that choice, you realize you're wrong, do you learn from it? Do you learn when you hurt that person? Do you learn how to care for people better? When you failed and let someone down, does it become a motivator to strengthen your faithfulness? Whatever it is that leads to your failure, do you see the root of it and try to root that out? The failure will come. And our reaction can either be fear to ever do that thing again or do that thing Those are where we go. And Scripture wants us. Christ desires us. When we fall seven times, to get up the eighth. Get up again. Learn from the falling to push forward into the next day. Because what this also does is this sets you up 
day to day, when you learn to fail forward in the small things, the big things get smaller. Because when we come to those big choices, the ones that we that, that weigh on our mind, that we stare at with our eyes closed for days and weeks, the knowledge that I have to make this choice that I don't know if I can, or I don't know where it will go. If we have learned to fail forward in the small, we will realize that those choices, you can fail forward in the big. Just as well. But the reality is there's much that goes into those big choices that get made. And these are not necessarily things that will happen every time, but at the same time, the things that you've learned, that you pursue, that you work on in those everyday choices can be applied to the big ones. And so when you take time and you think first in the small choices, when it comes to the big choices, take time. You don't have to, there is, I, I would be shocked if there is ever a scenario where a big choice enters into your life and you have to make the choice in that moment. I'm not saying it will not ever happen. And you can rely on the next two things within that. But the reality is you can take time. When the big questions come, seek. God's wisdom. Take time, take a step back, analyze, look at it, see it, and then seek God's wisdom in that time. <laughs> Don't, and here's, here's where I fall, I take all of the time and I analyze all of the possibilities and take them all to their utmost destruction. And never seek God's wisdom. I take time. I take plenty of time in my big choices. But I let my overanalyzing brain stay. It, it veers hard away from God's wisdom. And veers quickly into every possible destruction. Every terrible way it could go. This is just for me, what I would gather, would guess, and I know, there's a few other overanalyzers in this room. Yeah. And whether or not you are an overanalyzer, an impulse decider, whatever it is, the big choices will get you. They all have those pitfalls that the devil wants you to fall into. The fear that lies in wait. But I love these words. And the first one, I love this. This is from the book of James. And in case you guys haven't heard or don't know, James is the half-brother of Jesus. 
Jesus had, or Joseph and Mary had another child. His name was James. He became one of the disciples. And I'm telling you, the book of James is fascinating when you realize that it's written by his brother. Because I think most all of you have siblings. And if you were, were to think about and write about your siblings, the way that James writes about Jesus, you would immediately convince me that your sibling was God. Because every sibling knows every wrongdoing that their sibling does. Right? Right? Especially when you're younger and you're looking at the older. So the fact that Jesus' younger brother says these words to us, that means something to me. He says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. (laughs) The brother of Jesus says, if you need the right choice, if you need the better life, the wisdom is, right? Ask my brother. That (laughs) is deep to me. But further, the further depth of it is just the simplicity of this. If you wish for wisdom, ask for it. It's, it's astonishingly simple because we complicate it. Every time we complicate it. We come into the question, we come into the choice, and we look and we stare at that choice, and it gets complicated. We, and we're like, well, can God really help in this? I don't know if he really talks about this in Scripture, so I don't know if he really has something to say about this. I think I'm just going to have to probably figure it out on my own. Ask. That's what James is saying. Ask for wisdom, and he will give it to you. And then from there, we go back to Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Gosh, that part is hard. In all your ways, submit to him. Also really hard. And he will make your paths straight. We walk up in our path to the fork in the road where the paths diverge. And we wonder which way to go. What is the right choice? And God says here, the straight What I realize in this, what I see in this, is when we walk up to that fork in the road, and we question which way to go, and we say, what is the right decision? Or we have in our mind the understanding of God has a will 
for my life? What is his will in this moment? What is the right choice? The thing that I realized in this is I think we're asking the wrong question. We're not asking what is right or wrong. Almost every time. Because right and wrong is a question of sin. It's a question of am I choosing sin or not? And most often in our life, that's not actually what we're choosing between. Should I go to this college or this college? Should I date this person or not? Should I move in or stay at home? These questions, most often, you have to actually ask the question, is this a question of right and wrong? Or is it a question of wise and unwise? Because the reality is this. College or college, it is not the case that one of those colleges is a sinful choice. It's not. The choices that we come up to And this is what has felt a pressure on me for years in my life. I look at that question, that choice before me, and I look at it and I say, if I chose the wrong one, it ruins God's will for me. That's what I believed. I believed that the choice I made, if I made it wrong, God's will broke. And I would be wandering without God's will the rest of my days. That's not how God works. What God does is God walks in your path and makes your path straight. And so the reality is You do need to ask the question of right and wrong. If you find yourself choosing between sin and not sin, choose not sin. Thankfully, Scripture is clear on sin. The Spirit convicts. But when it comes to all those other questions, those other choices in our life, Just take off the pressure. The pressure that you put on yourself. That God is watching your choice. And will judge which way you take it. He's not waiting to judge your choice. He's waiting to continue to judge it.
He will walk with you at either college. He will walk with you with or without a girlfriend or boyfriend. He will walk with you from home or from school or from the military or from wherever. He will walk with you with those friends or without those friends. And so we've come to this part. The wisdom, is this a wise choice? Does this set me toward a better life or a worse life? That is a question that is a reality. We may choose things that make life harder for us. Let me rephrase that. We will choose things that will make life harder for us. But God will walk right down that path just as much as he would the other. God will never leave you nor forsake you. That includes the choices he makes. But then it falls, I don't know about you guys, but then those questions, those choices still rest heavy on my heart. Some of them are not easy choices. I'm not saying that, that that walking in this way will suddenly make every choice easy. But what it does do, what I hope it does, what I'm seeking to do in my own choices is to move away from the pressure of that and move into the forgiveness and grace and vision that God has Philippians 4 has an astonishing section on decision-making. Do not be anxious about anything. Gosh. <laughs> Every time I read it, I'm like, dang it! But I'm anxious about a lot of things. Do not be anxious about anything. That's not a condemning statement from Christ. That's a comfort statement from Christ. That is a God who knows anxiety. Who understands entirely anxiety. And knows that every scenario that your anxious mind has created for you, He's already there. That every possible thing that the anxious mind that reels and reels against you, He has power over. Do not be anxious about anything because nothing is outside of him. But in every situation, in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. God, help me make this 
And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. He starts in anxiety, because it's where we start. And then he goes into your requests, your desire, your ask wisdom. And I find it very interesting that there is nowhere in there, despite talking about the request, nowhere in this passage does it, passage does it say God answers your request. What it does say is you will have The reality is this, the questions, the requests that we seek in our lives are good, and God wants to hear them. But the reality is, He will give you peace in any request. And what He is interested in is not what your request was, but where are you looking in your request? Because not only does he say that he will give you peace, and not just any peace, but the peace that transcends human understanding, but then he says, when you are seeking a request, when you are making a choice, look for these So when the choice lies before us, the question is not, do I go this way, do I go that way? The question is, as I look into this, do I see what is true, what is noble, what is right, what is pure, what is admirable, what is lovely, what is praiseworthy, what is excellent? Why do we have peace? Because if our vision is looking for the things that God has for our lives, the good things on this earth, and he just gave us a list, then the decision is there. Move toward these things. And so if you stand at a choice, if you stand between two things, and you look out, and both of them are good and true and pure and lovely. The pressure then is gone. You have two fantastic choices. Not a pressure of which one you have to take. But if you look out there and one stands true, noble, right, true, and the other lacks those things, move toward this. 
God gives us a list. God gives us goggles to look through when making our choices. When we make the choice, he says, don't be anxious. I'm right here. I'm right here. And I hear what you're asking. I hear it. And thank you for bringing it to me. And now, let's take a look. What is the best life to choose? What is the true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy life? The reality is, God steps in, gives us the goggles to look through, the peace to make the choice, and the desire, he brings in a desire, but he also brings in discipline. And the reminder is this, when you take that step, when you choose that thing, God's grace and truth will go with you. And so if you make the wrong choice, you are forgiven. If you make the wrong choice, you can forgive yourself. When someone else makes the wrong choice, there is forgiveness from you and for them. From you and for you. The wrong choices will come and God will bring another choice to you. You are never forsaken in your choice. Never left behind, forgotten, or too far. And the pressure that we place on ourselves is not what God desires for us. He brings peace and a desire for us to trust in Him what he shows us and learn each step of the way to trust him. Father God, guide our steps. Set us free from the anxiety that entangles us. Grant us peace. Show us your way, your wisdom, your understanding. Thank you for all that you have brought to us in this year. Thank you for all that you have led us into. And Lord, I just pray 
your name will be praised. And that a blessing fall upon these students here today. Your blessing, Father God, falls upon them that they go out from this place to homes, to schools, new and old, to work, to friends, emboldened and held up by the Father who loves, created, and guides each of them. This I pray in your name.